Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got a Mail Podcast for you to enjoy that includes this harp noise. The, the title is simply We've Got Mail. It is. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I contribute to Slash Film. Writing a lot about Spider-Man these days. Yeah, a lot there's of Spider-Mans. A, there's a new Spider-Man a picture Spider-Man. this week. And there's a Spider-Man's picture. Many, many, many spider th- people and animals. Spider-person, spider-animal, spider-objects. Uh, uh, there's a spider-car. I like the, it's, That's from the comics. There's a spider-character called Peter Parked Car. Isn't that cute? It's the cutest goddamn thing. I think that's my favorite one. There's a... We'll get to your letters. You send yeah, we'll us, you send us uh, emails yeah. or actual physical letters, and we read them and we respond yeah. to them in kind. Uh, but we'll get to those in a second. Mm. Um, what, what, what's up? What's up? There is a scene in the new Spider-Man. Okay, no spoilers. Where uh, no, I, I love I love this because they're clearly like raising a middle finger to the people who really like to write down Easter eggs and references. Uh-huh. Because they pan across, like, a crowd of different Spider-Men, uh-huh. and each one gets, like, a little Chiron. It's just describing mm-hmm. their name and what, like, what where they come they're from, from, where yeah. they're from. And they pan by so quickly that they just pop on for, like, a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is either made for people who really want to, like, watch frame by frame once they buy a Blu-ray of it. Uh-huh. Or it's just like, look, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know all that information. We promise you we did the research. You don't have to worry about it. We know who they are. Mm. Anyway, uh, maybe we'll talk about Peter Parker and various Miles Morales-Z's and Gwen Stacy's and uh, Spider-Man's this episode. Maybe we won't. Uh, because we don't have any uh, any say in that matter. In fact, Whitney kind of hijacked the podcast right there. I'm very disappointed in him. This is We've Got Mail. This I, is where I, you control the conversation. I get to do that every once you in a while. You get to do it. Okay, I'll just let you do it every time. It's okay. Yeah. But uh, I, I just, that's mine. My, my prerogative. That's fine. That's fine. I, I love you. You get, yeah, everyone gets one. Uh, <laughs> oh, fine, I'll let you continue to speak over me and, uh, and interrupt me and do I, your thing. I just wanted to introduce the show because the whole point of the show is that our listeners get to tell us what to talk about. Uh-huh. And you do that by emailing us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm. Or you could write us a snail mail. Our P.O. box okay. is P.O. Uh, box... I, you know, I say it every like on every podcast. Uh, is I say it what it is. Six four one. Yes. Five six five. Yes, it is. Okay. Now send us a letter to the critically acclaimed network, PO Box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine zero six four. Do it today. Did you ever see the movie Free Jack? I did see the movie Free Jack. Remember, remember with, at the with end, Mick Jagger with Mick Jagger, and Anthony Estevez, Hopkins, Rene yeah. Russo, and Emilio Estevez. And at the end, Emilio Estevez has to prove that and, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins has downloaded himself into Emilio Estevez's brain mm. by telling Mick Jagger Anthony Hopkins' social security number, and it's just it's just him like rubbing his temples. Six, <laughs> and Mick Jagger's like. Go on, <laughs> and it's my favorite bit of acting, and my favorite uh, because Emilio has to. Okay, the premise of Free Jack. Yeah, we're going off on another tangent before we even get to the letters. That's true. Uh, it, it's a movie Jack. from 1991, 92, around Early there. 90s, really. And uh, in the future, the wealthy mm-hmm. are able to reach into the past mm-hmm. and snatch people up at the moment of their death mm-hmm. and take them into the future, and then. 
since they're legally dead, they can now wipe their brains clean and shunt their consciousness into a younger body that they've stolen from yeah, the past. So they can keep their perpetual life yeah. going. It's kind of like that movie Millennium, except um, hmm. well, Millennium except not. Well, Millennium, they're taking people from the past because they need breeding stock well, in the future. The, the reason why is because the future is fucked. We need p- people who had healthy bodies from the past. Yeah. And, and they find we, and we crashes. Take th- yeah. And we take them from the moment before their death so that we won't be upsetting the timeline. Exactly. So Emilio Estevez is going to be free jacked. And then uh, he wakes up, but he escapes. And he, he runs, gets on the run in the future. And Mick Jagger is responsible for hunting him down. And he, he's like, we've got a free jack. As if we're supposed to know what that means. It's, it's, seriously, it's a made-up word. We've got a shumba wumba. Well, it's, it's like it's like Logan's run, run, runner. You're, a, yeah. but of course, you know what a runner is. I, I uh, had, uh, but yeah, at the end of that movie, uh, Emilio Estevez is apprehended, but he's got the drop on on Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Yeah, and so he only pretends that Anthony Hopkins has been shunted into his brain. Mm-hmm. So Emilio Estevez has to act like Anthony Hopkins, and it's one of the most awkward pieces of acting. <laughs> Now, I'm, I'm positive on Emilio Estevez, actually. Yeah, Emilio Estevez is just he's, fine, he's, but he's fine. He's no Anthony Hopkins. Uh, well, he's a very different kind of actor than yeah. Anthony Hopkins. So when he tries to imitate him, it, it just it's just embarrassing. I, I actually really like Mick Jagger in that movie. One of my more embarrassing moments uh, ever was I was interviewing a guy, and he was a screenwriter, and he was about to go work on a show he was executive producing with Mick Jagger. And right after my interview, he says, yeah, I'm literally about to walk into a room with Mick Jagger. And wow. I was like... Can you send him a message? And the guy's like, sure. Tell him he was awesome in free jack. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And I, I hang up and I'm like, I could have made him tell Mick Jagger anything. And I said, tell him he was awesome in free jack. He, Mick Jagger was like, all right, let's talk about this new show we're doing on HBO. What is it? Oh, uh, you were awesome in free jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. It'd be really awkward to bring up like Altamont or something. Here, remember Altamont? Don't talk about Altamont. It's a miserable experience. Anyway, we promise we'll make up this like six minutes we wasted at, at the end of the show. We'll go a little long. Uh, Whitney, yes. let's let's read some emails for the love of God. Oh, fine, if we must. All right. Um, Here's a letter from Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. I've been loving your new show, Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. Yay! Thank you so much. And the discussions about how the U.S. film industry completely butchers translations of international media. Hmm? I keep bumping up against something that's been bothering me, though. Okay. In describing these mistranslations, you keep using the word boulderize. I do not think that means what you think it means. Did we boulderize boulderize? <laughs> what, uh, what you seem to interpret it as, as anglicization making a foreign word more harmonious to the English speaker's ear. What boulderization uh, is, is excising offensive material from a work in order to sanitize it by removing potentially offensive content to fit a particular moralistic worldview. Oh, we are Uh, totally way off then. My uh, apologies. Hang on a second. Um, A mild form was recently the editing of Splash by Disney Mm. to cover up Daryl Hannah's butt so as not to offend the viewer's delicate sensibilities. Um... Boulderize also means to uh, sort of shorten or abridge in mm. uh, in a way that changes the meaning a little bit. Either way, um, we were using it wrong. No, I was using it correctly. You were using it abridging. So I'm looking it up right now in dictionary. Merriam-Webster. All right. To expurgate something such as a book by omitting or modifying parts considered vulgar, which is clearly not what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and the second definition is to modify by abridging, simplifying, or distorting. Mm. In style or content. That, so technically, yes, but that's like the fifth definition. It, it's the second definition, thank you. No, the no, second it's the, one you it's just the read. the third part of the second. 
I'm using it correctly is my point. I want to I, defend myself. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I, I, I want to throw you under the bus. I, I, I see you're trying to do that. <laughs> but I am Mr. Furious. I lifted a bus once. <laughs> you, you, uh, you pushed it and it was kind of push. It was already moving. <laughs> I want to, want to defend myself. Right, I, right. I feel like I was using the word correctly. Let's finish the email. Let's so. finish the email. But we're both correct, because those are both definitions okay. of what Boulder Ice but there is. But there is, however, a more common usage, and that can be potentially confusing. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, to continue the letter, though, yeah. I do love what you do, and your insight, insightful commentary on movies always makes me think. Good. I'm glad. Thank um, you. I particularly enjoyed the recent Iron List on fairy tale movies and how passionate you both are when it comes to films that you love. The Princess Bride is among my favorite films, so I was very happy to see it make the list. Yay. Hard disagree on Labyrinth, though, Whitney. Ah. I, I'm, I'm one of the assholes who's only kind of warm. I, I, I like Labyrinth, but I, I don't love I Labyrinth. Don't, I, okay, um, you need to lead with that because sometimes you sound like an asshole to Labyrinth. I, I don't. Mm, you, just, fine. You, you come across. Labyrinth as... can take it. Labyrinth can, can it? take me being an asshole to it. Everybody mm. else is very kind to that film. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there is much more of a story there than you get credit for. What the film is about uh, is Sarah's journey growing up, becoming more responsible. She wasn't in love with the Goblin King. The story she's play-acting at the beginning is that the Goblin King is in love with her, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. She's simply obsessed with the fantasy world. She doesn't believe in the goblins at the beginning of the film when she makes her wish. The theme is her putting away the trappings of her childish imagination, uh, and it persists throughout the movie, but the ending suggests that it will always be part of her world. Uh, we were... All- we're often told that the things we loved as children were not allowed. We are not allowed to take with us into maturity. Labyrinth says we can grow and still maintain that spark of childlike wonder. Uh, always look forward to the next episode of any of your shows. I do miss Cancel Too Soon, yeah. but I understand that the time commitment that show entails. Thank you for all the time you put into entertaining us, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Cancel Too Soon is never far from our thoughts, but it is sometimes hard to put into our schedules. Yeah, um, I, I'm totally with you on Labyrinth. Um, I, I, I don't think it's the greatest fantasy film ever produced or anything like mm-hmm. that, but I love it to pieces. I think it's got both personality to spare. It's wonderfully designed. David Bowie is... I, I didn't. Bowie, yeah. I, 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 I didn't. That was my first experience with David Bowie. I think. I don't think okay. I. I probably heard his music beforehand, but I didn't like have a face to put to it. Uh, so basically, I saw him in Labyrinth, and I'm like, "That's it. That's the epitome of human civilization. That's everything we have been working towards." Is mm-hmm. David Bowie? And thank you for showing me that at an early age. I've peaked a little young, but that's fine. Uh, I love Labyrinth to pieces. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, Boulderizing. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, there, there, I guess there are multiple definitions. Some may be more yeah, common than uh, others. I, I suppose uh, maybe the reason I use that second definition more frequently is because mm. that's how I encountered it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it one of those words you read out of well, books and start using yourself when you might mispronounce it the first time you say it out well, loud. you and I ran into some trouble a few years ago when we rev- uh, reviewed Caddyshack 2. Mm. And we got in trouble for liking it too much. Uh, from the director himself, yeah. Alan Arkush wrote in and said you, that we were wrong about the movie he made because we yeah. liked it, and he hated that movie that he made. Yeah, like, everyone hates Caddyshack 2. The people who made Caddyshack 2 hate Caddyshack 2, and we're the critics saying, hang on a second, if you actually watch them and you set aside the nostalgia, Caddyshack 2 is not only quite funny, it's arguably a better film than the original. Like, like it's it's about stuff and has stronger <laughs> characters. Yeah. It's not just people hanging out being jerks. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it was actually, like, crafted by people who wanted to tell a story and make mm. a movie rather than found in an editing room after a bunch of, like, comedians it, it, did some improv stuff. Improv and stuff, yeah. Like, th- that can work. I just argue that Caddyshack 2 works great. Anyway, I'm, that's not my point. My point was the, the bigger objection that Alan Arkush had, mm. and I understand, 
uh, was we had referred to Alan Arkush, who has had a really wild, varied career. He's on a lot of television, mm-hmm. a lot of different types of movies. Uh, award nominated, like a yeah. talented guy. I, I, we referred to him as a journeyman filmmaker. We were referring to the definition of journeyman. That is, you are a talented craftsperson and you are good at everything that you and, do. And varied. Yeah. yeah you, you, you will take any assignment and you will do it well. Mm. Uh, Which is one of the definitions of journeyman, mm-hmm. but not the one Alan Arkish heard. No, Alan Arkish he, he thought, knows the thought word we were being, a little, bit, being yeah. a little bit more derisive. Kind of, and, kind of flip about it. And, yeah. and you know what? That, that, that is also an accepted meaning, uh, definition yeah. of the word journeyman. Um, I guess we didn't do a good enough job providing context there. Yeah. We came across like jerks. We didn't intend to. We apologized. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard the apology, but by God, we did. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, but, yeah, it's... it's Language is tricky. Language is constantly evolving. Yeah. We need words that have actual definitions. Otherwise, we'll never be on the same page with anything. Yeah. But... Things do evolve, and sometimes we get hung up on one definition when there are multiple accepted definitions. Have you ever used a word repeatedly throughout your life only to have have it be corrected? Oh, I'm like, sure you, I have. you misused a word just constantly? I am absolutely 100% sure I have. Um, the, the, one that, the one that got me uh, kind of recently, like within the last couple of years, uh, I like to use the word enervated. Uh-huh. Uh, and, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, enervated meant the opposite of what I thought it did. Mm-hmm. I, I always assumed enervated meant like energized, full mm-hmm. of energy. It actually means drained of energy. It means it, the opposite. Yeah, it's one of those flammable and flammable things. Like, yeah, wait a and, and enerv- enervate. It's like or uh, like the term disgruntled was really funny because gruntled is a word, and gruntled means pleased. It doesn't sound it, like pleased. Gruntled sounds, doesn't sound like you're you're pleased like or, the or relaxed. Like gruntled yeah. through the countryside, yeah, it sounds like something from Lewis cows. Carroll. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound fun, but no, that's what it means. Um, I the one I remember very distinctly. I had gotten two very similar words mixed up, but they are two words you don't want to mix up because when you use them wrong, you use them very wrong. Uh-huh. Was, uh huh. Was impudent and impotent. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah, I remember whipping that one out in high school, and everyone's like, what? And I was like, I don't, what? I, you're, being impu- you're, you're being impotent, Dad. I don't know. Like, impudent. I, impudent. Hmm. What did I say? Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Uh, well, one that got me in trouble. Um, I read the word whereas a lot in books. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I mispronounced it in my mind. You like Warius? Uh, I said Warius. Yeah, so yeah. whenever I said it out loud, I would say Warius, thinking I was pronouncing it correctly. And I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion you that know it? silent letters are cruel jokes on people who read a lot. <laughs> I'm like, typesetters are just playing yeah. pranks on people. <laughs> just throw, in, throw a G in there just to fuck with them. Um, yeah. yeah. But that's true. There's a lot of, there's a lot of names that I've never heard uh, read aloud or spoken aloud by people who know the person in question, so I'm kind of taking my best guess on those. Yeah, yeah. I try to research it if I know I'm going to be saying it ahead of time, but I don't always. Mm. Stuff like that. That's always embarrassing when you get corrected on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as, as somebody with an EI in his name. Oh, yeah. That, that, for that's, some reason, that that's people very think it's a diphthong, pro- it's like really weird. It's but... very rarely pronounced with an I. Uh, except an Einstein, for goodness sake. I it's, realize it's, that, uh, but that's... Th- someone thinks a little highly of themselves, don't you think? Sure, I'll you know what I'll Whitney look. Whitney Einstein. Uh, look, look I've, I've already taken a piss on Labyrinth. I may as well just be a super villain <laughs> at this point. Uh, what's our next email? <laughs> Here's a letter from Miguel. Hello, Miguel. Hi, um, Miguel. 
Good evening, senores Bibs and, Wib- uh, and Wibs, it says. Uh, let me start by saying I admire your knowledge and experience, including our appreciation for such a wide variety of films. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys are always... Everyone's really nice. Um, one of these qualities is your strong desire to keep finding new films and giving them a chance, even the films generally regarded as atrocities of cinema. Mm. So you might be familiar with the practice of writing down the titles of films that you can, at some point, watch them, a.k.a. a watch list. Uh, well, I like to use Letterboxd for this. A lot of people do. Uh, it's a great service. I do not have a Letterboxd. I, do, I, don't, I keep meaning to use it more than I do. I just forget to. Okay. But I do have it, and I, I try to... Update it once in a while, but I definitely don't like catalog everything I watch yeah. on there. Um, yeah. I stopped rating films on Letterboxd and simply log them, occasionally mm-hmm. writing a small review. But I also like to save film titles I'd uh, I'd like to eventually get to. Right. This is a default watch, watch list on the website, but my watch list keeps getting longer and longer over time, so that at some point it didn't feel helpful at all. <laughs> so I decided to organize it by creating several lists of films. Oh. I organized it into broad categories of my own. For example, some are by country, hmm. others by decade, and I even have a list called Critically Exclaimed, Ooh. a title I misspelled, where I list your recommendations of films that sparked my interest for oh, one reason awesome. or another. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. Currently, this list has 120 films. Oh my god. And it's a wild and varied list of titles. Once yeah. I see a film, I remove it from the list, so it's actually been a longer list. Wow. In your opinion, is there a best way to organize a watch list? Mm. Uh, I still feel like it's disorganized and still don't necessarily find them helpful once they get too large. Secondly, what's the best way to finally watch those movies? They keep getting longer, and I try to imitate what you guys do by creating my own small movie marathons, but I found myself at times lacking the will to get through them. What are some tips you guys can do to share on making the process fun and educational? Thank you for taking my email. I'd love to give you both a hug someday, a fan of your work. Miguel. Miguel, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. Hugs. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, we all have our watch lists. Sometimes they're more Mm. official. Like, we actually, I've had long notebooks full before Letterboxd uh, existed, full of movies that I just, I need to get through, and I would go through local uh, blockbusters and just find them and rent them. Uh, In 1995, way back in the day, uh, Blockbuster Video and Leonard Maltin put out these gigantic, thick source books of nothing but film titles. Tiny print. You almost needed a magnifying glass to see it. And it was basically a phone book. And yeah, it was this big phone book, and there were like, couple thousand titles in there mm-hmm. that was a good way to just sort of if you hadn't heard of something or discover a title it was before sort of we had imdb through. so yeah. if you and they, they were listed by uh film title you could also look it up there'd be a glossary of, of like look up a director you'd see all yeah. the films they had that uh, that film was on this page actors as well genre the, the, that was a sort of a good way to browse mm-hmm. but that's not a good watch list uh no. what, what i found was a good watch list though were the other source books mm. and we've talked a lot about michael weldon's psychotronic video guide i miss uh, it so the michael weldon put out this really great big book called the psychotronic guide to video and was Guide to Video and Film, I think it's oh, called. Oh, I got a copyright. Yeah, you, you, ha- you have it somewhere I on your do. shelf nearby. I, I, I think it's in the other room right yeah. now. Okay, yeah. If, if you see it, grab it, because it would be, yeah. be a fun thing to thumb through. Um, and that was... Psychotronic was a very specific type of genre film. Usually a little bit on the fringe. There were some things that you had also heard of. Yeah. Um, but written about in uh, sort of terms of its delicious mayhem. Yeah. Uh, th- it was, it was a weird a... film by a weird guy. And it's got like people getting their heads ripped off. Well, That's a fun movie. A lot of those it. like Leonard Maltony mm. kind of film guides. And I love Leonard Maltony pieces, but um, they're, they're very uh, opinionated. They're, mm. They are reviews as well. Yeah. There's like, a star, star rating on each one. And um, I find that a lot of mainstream critics, be they Roger Ebert, Leonard Maltin or whoever you're thinking of, uh, can be a little dismissive of genre and culty stuff sometimes. Well, it depends especially, on the critic. Especially yeah. when we were growing up, I found that was rather common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Psychotronic Film Guide was very positive on the idea of cult films. They didn't yeah. like everything, but they were excited about them, and mm -hmm. that enthusiasm like could peeled off the page in like chunks, yeah, and yeah. you could like devour so, it. Uh, those kinds of guides were a lot more helpful for me because mm -hmm. if I, I want to watch a movie, you start thumbing through that. It's like oh, just. Yeah. Thumb through point, and yeah. you get a, an idea. Of course, now we're in the online world, and those kinds of guides don't really exist anymore. Well, you, you can way. get an old one, but they'll be out of date now. Because they were out of date you the second what? they were published. I'm about to, I'm about to, I'll say though, they're out of date, but those movies still are out there. That's and they're true. They're still fun to watch. There, there's just get more the, stuff that should be in there. Say, but you're, all you're not going to get the worth. newer movies. But yeah. if you want to just delve into the old stuff, those are great. Um, no, that's true. It's a good point. Uh, when it comes to sort of curating your... Uh, then later on, mm. after sort of I had gone through those books, I started looking up the top 100 lists that various mm -hmm. outlets were publishing. Village Voice had one. Roger Ebert had one. The uh, uh, AFI. AFI had one. It's weird to me. I, I printed those out on little cards and uh -huh. put them in my wallets, and I just crossed them off a, as I went along. A lot of them had little uh, checklist uh, yeah. marks on them. The AFI Top 100, the American Film Institute Top 100, they... Uh, Asked a whole bunch of filmmakers, famous people, filmmakers mm -hmm. you'd know, uh, to present their picks for the best American, specifically American, American yeah. uh, motion pictures ever made. And they released a list in 1998, and then they released another one ten years later, and they released a few in the interim that was more focused, like the biggest movie stars of all time, or the, the, the best movie quotes of all time. They have not updated that list, and I think this is the year they need to do that, because I know people, because it's been 25 years. Yeah. I know people who still say that they are working their way through the AFI Top 100 list. Mm. And for from the most, 2008. From yeah, 2008 long, long, long or, or the 1990s. And and listen, for the most part, I, I don't agree with everything on those lists. For the most part, that's a perfectly okay place to start your filmic journey. You're going to be focusing almost exclusively on American films, but you should probably see most of the films on there. I think it, that is an over, that, that list is overdue. For a reappraisal and yeah, for yeah. some re and de canonizations. For me, the thing that helped me get through a lot of my watch lists, I had, I had some books as well that I would like, okay, I'm going to see everything on this list or whatever. But what really helped me was to gamify it, to turn it into a little game. Okay. Uh, so I have this giant list of movies. Can I find a way to put them into more manageable sizes? And then take all of these films, let's say I'll take every single, um, I don't know, uh, every single film by this director. Let's say I hadn't seen that many Hitchcock movies yet. I'm going to become an expert in Alfred Hitchcock. I'm going to watch these 20 Alfred Hitchcock movies, and that's my goal. Mm. And what's cool about that is is that when when you're done getting through that list, you have probably seen more of those movies than most people that you know. And at the end, you haven't just seen a few cool movies. You've become a little mini expert on something. And then you can become a little expert on something else. That's how we... Mm. Actually, it's how we do a lot of our podcasts. That's Thank Godzilla, It's Friday is part of that. We're going to go through all the Godzilla movies. You've already done that for another project that mm. you've done. That's how you saw them initially. Yeah. Um... I, I, I want to do the same thing, and we're expanding that list a little bit. So when we're done with that podcast, I will have seen every Godzilla and Godzilla-related movie, and I'll be able to say, I know of which I speak when I speak of Godzilla. And that little reward at the end, that little, just that little, little, one little token of pride, you know, maybe I'm not the greatest expert on it, but I can say that I've seen them all, and my opinion might 
about the series might mean more than if I hadn't. Hmm. That makes it worth it for me. That's a goal to reach. So you could do that. You could do uh, every movie in a series, every movie by a filmmaker, every movie on your list from a certain decade, every movie on your list from a certain genre or subgenre. Oh, I'll go through every movie on my list that's a romantic comedy. I'll be the romantic comedy guy for the next few months. That helps me. That helps me get through it. But um, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, and if that isn't working for you... Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's the Whitney, Whitney yeah. had some good suggestions as well, but like, yeah, I find just making it smaller, manageable chunks mm. at the very least. I think is the best way to do it. Yeah. However, you do that, smaller, manageable chunks. Um, or if if you're the kinds of person who's just sort of constantly accruing titles, mm. you'd like to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, doing it by year is mm-hmm. typically helpful. Uh, it can be I, useful to paint a picture of what everything that was going on around that time yeah, artistically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, schedule it. Have mm. have a night a week mm. where you're going to watch two movies on your list. Yeah, uh, if it's a good idea. Yeah, have, well, invite once, people over if once, you can. Once you, you know? have yeah. shorter lists, you'll be able to choose those films a lot more easily. But mm-hmm. you know, you know that's going to be movie night. Yeah, and so you'll be thinking about it ahead of time. I'm going to watch this one come movie night, mm-hmm. uh, and that'll help you uh, get at least a couple out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I like and rituals are nice. Mm-hmm. I like rituals. You know, they uh, they they help. They help mark the time, and that sounds like, you know, like you're just kind of like scratching into the wall of your prison cell, Hmm. but I think if you don't have any sort of traditions, you know, you look back over a large span of time, and sometimes you're like, where did the time go? And now you can say, well, I can tell you where the time went. I watched all these movies. (laughs) You know? That was cool. I had this night that I was a, it was a, uh, I did it with friends, or it was a date with myself, a concept that I'm struggling to... Mm. To get it used to, but it's a good idea to take time for yourself, to pamper yourself a little bit, to remember, mm-hmm. what did uh, Dale Cooper say in Twin Beaks? Every day, get yourself a present. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, a day with yourself, this is my night, I'm going to put on two movies, I'm going to order a pizza, I'm going to drink a glass of red wine, or whatever the hell makes you happy, and I'm going to watch those movies, and that's my Thursday. Nice. And that can be a really lovely thing. Mm-hmm. Or you can invite other people. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hope that helps. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and I, uh, I definitely don't want to be like dogmatic about it. Here's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah definitely don't want to do that. I mean, the, the, the point is to well, also the, the point is to enjoy the movies. That's true. Uh, of course, if you're the kind of person who gets a little bit of an academic thrill, if it's mm-hmm. sort of like a study project, then, then you don't have to enjoy. Well, them. The, yeah, then the but then the approach is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, something that helped me in college was uh, I watched in the library. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch in my dorm. Yeah. Uh, they had these little, this was the mid-90s, so they had uh, those TV VCR uh, devices set up. and you just viewing put, stations. And, yeah, and these like little cubbies, and you just sort of sit and you watch, and the TV's like an inch from your face. Because you, you do that like with a, a laptop now, I suppose. Yeah, well, they still have that. We, uh, when we were doing our uh, Oscars podcast on Patreon, another one of those, where we're reviewing every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. There were two movies that oh, are yeah. currently only available. Like, they're not available on home video, they're not available on streaming, they're not even bootlegged. They're only available at the UCLA Archive. Uh, those films are East Lynn and The White Parade. We had to go to the UCLA Library. Fortunately, we live pretty close to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like a huge jaunt for us. But uh, yeah, that's the way that they're still set up. It's not, you know, a, a, a clunky old VHS TV, but it's still a little TV in like a cubicle. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of pick your place. Oh, I'm in spot 13. Send me the movie. And then... 
the MST3K character is like, movie in the hole, and they send the liquid movie. <laughs> Do your thing. Anyway, um, yeah. I hope that helps. Right, here's a letter from Alex. Hi, Alex. Hello, Alex. Um, hello. Starts with hello. Hello. Uh, I'm glad to finally be adding my questions to the fun discussions you both have on We've Got Mail. Yay! Last spring, I gave birth. Oh, good for you. Mazeltov. And had a hard time finding motivation to leave the house with the baby, mm. especially during the newborn stage. Uh, it's a bit tough. Sure. Um, however, listening to your podcast, longer episodes provided the right motivation to get me out of the house. Instead of telling myself to walk for so many minutes or miles, I would literally tell myself, walk for one or two episodes. So thank you for oh, the wow. extra push and know that I still use that mindset to get the extra motivation boost today. Um we do some very yeah. long episodes, so um, you're 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 doing some hikes. My my son is eight, but I remember the baby time. And oh, yeah. you when were you're so tired. when you are uh, when you are home alone with a baby, oh, it's just a matter of filling the time. <laughs> uh, luckily, we had a very nice stroller, uh, yeah. so I was able to put the baby in the stroller, and I I got to know the neighborhood really well. Yeah, we had a camping store nearby our house. Oh, it's yeah, closed now. It. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Place. But it's called A sixteen Adventure sixteen. I, I put and I, I put would a gift just, for you on hold on that store. I paid for it in advance. And then they closed down without telling me. I never got that back, and oh, I never got your kid. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? I hope it went to some employee at the very least. I can um, only be so mad. It wasn't a fortune. Okay. It wasn't cheap, but it wasn't a fortune. Right, so it's um, fine. I'll, I'll let it go. I just think it's funny. But uh, you know, where where do you go when you have a baby? I don't yeah. I don't know where to go with this baby. It's yeah. a little tiny baby. Yeah, you know, too too young for like a, a play place, and you know I could take yeah. drive to a park eventually, but mostly mm. I just wanted to get out of the house. Yeah, yeah. so I just walk around places in the neighborhood, I'd just take him into grocery stores. I don't know, I'm not not even buying anything. I'm just gonna go get groceries. Yeah, uh, and yeah, the the people at the camping store got to know me really well. It's like <laughs> it's oh, it's a big the, camping it's store. The, it's too. A, yeah, it's really we'll huge. Look around, and, and yeah. I occasionally get things like incense, little yeah. things, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. that this that's this need to sort of go out and move around and get out of the world. That's something we're losing. I, I, I obviously it's not true equally true everywhere, but here in LA, you know, there just aren't as many like stores to go to to hang out. Uh, I mean, obviously, you want to buy things, but like you know, like mis- we just want to browse. Just as missing person says, only a nobody walks in LA. Yeah, but like, like even so, you would you would I would be able to drive somewhere in LA, yeah. and then hang out at you know this cool bookstore this cool yeah, record store yeah. and there are a few but they're few and far between and they're all of these giant storefronts and all they are is grocery stores takeout restaurants and dispensaries and dispensaries <laughs> but no one, there's now. nowhere to like hang out and socialize or whatever like that mm. so like the other day like i had like an the, afternoon the, to myself the glory and, days of the 90s coffee shop are long behind us but i think there's still nice coffee shop that's true so. but like they're they're fewer and further between and the, the other day i had like a whole afternoon to myself like, all of a sudden, like, for the first time in a long time, I'm like, there's no one here. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I want to leave the apartment. I'm a little stir-crazy. I haven't, like, had an opportunity to go anywhere. I should go somewhere. Yeah, just walk. I spent 45 minutes in a chair just trying to figure out the fuck am I going to do? Well, what here, do I want to do? Here's Where the, do I want to go? And I, I wanted to go. I didn't just want to walk. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go somewhere. Okay. I wanted to have a destination say, be, and... Uh, and do something. You, you start walking and you figure out on the way. That's the secret. You don't have that much in walking around us. Pardon? We don't have that much in walking distance around us. No, but, you know, you'll figure it out. Even if you just yeah. end up at, like, local liquor I, store I or eventually found a comic book store, like, in, in Culver City that there I went to. That I, just, right. I hadn't gone to in forever. And I went, and it was great. And I frequented them, and they were a local business, and I, you know, bought some things, right. and it was nice. But there just isn't as much to do <laughs> to walk around in. So I'm glad that we were able to make the journey... 
more more regimented. Yeah. You know, like you're able to help in some way. It's nice. Thank you. Anyway, on to the questions. Yes. Alex. Uh, number one, uh, and there's five questions okay. here. So, uh, number one, do biopics have an obligation to be truthful, a truthful adaptation of a person? I had a discussion mm. recently about the greatest showman about whether or not it's a bio, whether it's a biopic or not. Technically, it's about a real person, P.T. Barnum, and starting a show, but everything else was fabricated. Typically, this wouldn't bother me, but in real life, he was notorious for so many horrible things, not limited to letting a whale boil alive on stage, and his identity isn't considered common knowledge for people who know the difference between uh, Hugh Jackman's charismatic Barnum and the real thing. I fear it just romanticizes him for new generations. It's too bad because I love the movie, and I mm. wish they changed his name, and it would have little or no consequence for the movie. Uh, for something like The Greatest Showman... I'm okay with all of the changes because I know P.T. Barnum would have loved it. I think that would that would <clears throat> save the movie for me is if it just had like an opening, hmm. like uh, a little opening crawl. What you are about to see is not true, uh-huh. but it's what you paid to see. Yeah, yeah. that would have it, it puts P.T. Barnum's stamp yeah. on it. It makes or, it feel like appropriate. Or just in, enjoy yeah. the show, sucker. Well, like, <laughs> you remember when they did uh, Man on the Moon, which is the biopic of comedian Andy Kaufman, starred uh, Jim Carrey. Andy Kaufman was a very conceptual comedian, and he would like to play with his audience's sense of reality. Mm-hmm. When the writers of the film, and they had written some of the best biopics of the era, yeah, Ed Wood, the people who were Scott Alexander Flint, and Larry Karaszewski. Yeah, yeah, really, two of the screenwriters that made me want to study film. I just, I was really admired everything that they did. Andy Kaufman's life, the way it actually happened, wasn't structured like a movie. Mm-hmm. And you, they couldn't find within that narrative of his life... A movie chunk. Like, that was how they did The People vs. Larry Flint. They didn't tell the entire story of Larry Flint. They told the story of the Supreme Court case. Yeah. Everything relevant leading up to it, and then it ends with the Supreme Court case that he was involved in. That's the narrative. Ed Wood, it focused on his relationship with Bella Lugosi. Mm. Boom. That was the narrative. We don't show his whole life. We don't need to see his whole life. We tell the story within it. Especially the end, which was really miserable. Very depressing. Uh, and even the Bella Lugosi stuff is really sugar-coated. Um... When it came to Andy Kaufman, he just didn't have that. And so they realized the only thing we can do in order to tell his story in a biopic is to move things around for dramatic purposes. And then they realized Andy Kaufman would have been fine with that. Yeah. (laughs) And what they did to take the curse off of it was the movie opens with Jim Carrey in character as Andy Kaufman. And I'm not going to do the voice because I I can't. He's too good. Mm. Um but uh, he, he just comes in and says, Hi, uh, I'm Andy Kaufman, and this is my movie. Uh, and it's come to my attention that they changed a bunch of things for dramatic purposes. Uh, so I cut out all the baloney. Anything that isn't true isn't in the movie. The movie is much shorter. Mm. It is now over. Fact, this is the end the of the movie, and they rolled and credits. Showed the credits. Mm. And that was the gag. Yeah. I think a movie... It's, it's tricky because on one hand, if a movie is... Well, if it, a movie it, is, it depends is, on the goal of the movie. Yeah, if, if the, that's what that's going. Point. Yeah. It, it does vary. I think there are yeah, good there, examples in both. Th- there are yeah. a, a lot of uh, Hollywood biographies are mm. meant to be entertainments, uh, and as such, they have to, mm. by necessity, reduce a human life to essentially screenplay beats. Yeah. Uh, here's the moment when uh, they're at their low point. Here's mm. a moment of their rise of success. That's why a lot of mm. the music biopics. Uh, kind of, tend to feel kind of the same, well, even if, even if the musicians are very different people. I don't, I don't think uh, you've ever actually seen it, but if you've ever seen I mean, you Whitney mm-hmm. specifically, but if anyone's listening has ever seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox, I haven't seen Walk Hard. It is a merciless deconstruction of every Hollywood biopic trope. 
Yeah. It is, it, it kind of just ruins all of them. Like, even the good ones. Like, Ray is a very good movie. I like it's Ray. It's excellently yeah. crafted. The performances are wonderful. It's pretty respectful while also not ignoring things. Uh, and then once you see Walk Hard, you realize just how much they just shoehorn a person's life into a formula. Yeah. Uh, and on one hand, that's what we come to see. We probably go to see a biopic of most people because we like them or are interested in them. Uh Sometimes we go to see a biopic of someone who was a piece of shit, and that's why we're here. Mm. Like, we're here to see see a biopic of, like, a Vice, for example, was a biopic of Dick Cheney, Cheney, who a lot of people don't like. And the people who do like him, that movie was not made for them (laughs) at all. Um, You know, his his heart exploded the other day, and somehow he's still alive. That's incredible. Um, You remember when he shot a guy in the face? Yeah, and that guy apologized. (laughs) The guy he shot in the face apologized, apologized to, to him, him for getting in the way of his gun. Absolutely incredible. But um, it, you, they don't all have to be love letters. They don't all have to be hagiographies. A lot of them are made with the participation of the families and their estates. And as a result, a lot of them kind of emphasize the good parts. Yeah, it, like um, if, if you've seen Straight Outta Compton, yeah. uh, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube were Very involved. producers. They were deeply yeah. involved. So can't really criticize Dre. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a scene near the end of Straight Outta Compton about, Dre, you're going through all these hard times right now. What with those assault charges and all? Wait, what? Go what back? Was that? What was that about the assault Did charges? Did you tell me about what the assault charges? That, we didn't see that scene. No, we're just gonna, I'm amazed you brought it up. Yeah. You know? It's like when you're watching that movie Air, which is about the history of the Air Jordan and how that oh. shoot came about. And uh, um, D- Justin, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman Jason, just yeah. says, yeah, I should feel bad about the sweatshops that we have, but mostly I'm concerned about yeah. keeping the love of my daughter. Wait, Wait God, what was that? Go back. Go back. So, we're, so we're not going to talk about that, but we will mention it briefly as mm-hmm. an aside in a scene that's supposed to make you endearing. Okay. Um And it's tricky. Like, and then you get a movie like Blonde, which is uh, Mm -hmm. they try to say it's not a biopic of Marilyn Monroe, but it's also about Marilyn Monroe's entire life. It's it's like a that movie uh, aspired to be like a mood piece Mm -hmm. about Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. It's like an but a bad mood piece and like a mean spirited one too. I, I saw a Blonde and Elvis as having similar goals, and that they were trying to sort of. Capture a vibe. Well, like, yeah, tell a, a biopic of the popular image of ah, a certain kind of celebrity. Except and, one of those biopics hates the person. Uh, yeah, Bl- Blonde seems to, uh, s- well... Hate might, think, be, hate might be the wrong I don't word. think it hates Marilyn Monroe, but it does see Marilyn Monroe as just a, a, a poor victim who had no agency in her life. Right. Uh, and and that, 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 that's, that's not entirely accurate about her. I, well, it's not accurate, um, but it's also not fair. And this is mm. what I think is a big part of it. If you're going to be untruthful mm. in a biopic, and you can't be entirely truthful because you weren't there for every moment of the life, at the mm. very least you're making up dialogue. Well, There's no, always stuff that you're man. making up. Um, if you're going to be particularly untruthful, you'd better have a good reason to do it. Yeah. Now, that reason might be because it's entertaining and we're going in a completely bizarre magical realism vibe and Mm. we're not actually going to be that accurate and that's apparently clear from the beginning. Fine. Mm. We're focusing on one particular perspective in order to make a larger point about that person or art or the era and as a result, it's going to be a little skewed, but it's, it's abundantly clear based on the narrative that we're telling that we have that perspective. If you're not clear about that, and in and here's something like Blonde, where it's like, yeah, it clearly has a tone, mm. but it was also just Marilyn Monroe's life. 
And I found that one to be on the irresponsible side because yeah. it, it shows her life as completely without joy or even agency. Mm. And that infuriated me. I'm like, why are you making a movie about this person if I don't even get the sense that you really well, lo- love them? Well, that's that's also like, I, I would think if somebody like, who's like a good miserableist, someone like Lars von Trier sure. had made uh, something like Blonde, Oof. which was a... And sort of his thesis tends to be humans are built to suffer, yeah. you know, something really kind of bleak. But he has, he's, then, he's angry then, about that. Yeah. That's the difference. I don't think mm. if, if Blonde had ended with like Marilyn Monroe, like punching JFK and like all this, like it would, t- it would have taken like a hard right at the, at some mm. point of Lars Von Trier had done it. Or, or if it had gone into something fantastical, like she ends up in hell. Yeah. And, yeah, and we like God, see her talking. But, unless, maybe it's the cool hell. You know, like the hell, like wherever all the cool people end up. Like she, she goes to hell and she's like weeping in agony. It's like no, but then now oh, she's ruling in hell. Like something completely, That's totally so inappropriate. Weird. But you know, uh, yeah, at know. least that would have had a thesis. Yeah, um, Alex Cox is blonde. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I think it's a bad uh, idea. But anyway, would love to have seen Alex Cox do so. well. Old Alex. Cox. Al, yeah, maybe not contemporary. But anyway, so anyway, it, it's a complicated scenario. There, there are biopics I like that are not very faithful. Yeah. There are biopics but, uh, I like that are very faithful. There are biopics that are very faithful that I think are junk and vice versa. It is, I think, largely based on what is the particular purpose of the particular film yeah, you're watching I, I was, and whether what they're doing is reasonable, yeah, entertaining, uh, if responsible. If it's like a Hollywood bi- biopic, its goal is to be entertaining. It's mm-hmm. going to fudge the truth. And I think you, mm-hmm. I think most audiences kind of sense that. We're, we're, uh, it's you don't good see Rocket to, Man expecting to go home depressed. It's, you know? it's also good to like do a little research, make sure, mm-hmm. you know, understand what has been fabricated we should always encourage uh, people never to get their whole history from movies there's also uh, a certain kind of movie that is trying to be informative and yeah. trying to tell people about maybe an obscure character in history mm. uh, and that might be the only way you ever even knew they existed yeah, so uh, how could your perspective so, uh, on that person not be skewed by the motion picture you just watched uh so sometimes uh, those films, when they're trying to be informative, then it's actually responsible to be more accurate yeah. to, to that person. Yeah, it's 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 tricky. Mm. You don't want to be entirely beholden to history, but you also don't want to... You do have some responsibility to make sure that you're not warping the minds of your audience. So yeah. it's tricky. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill uh question number two okay uh if you were both studio heads and had 100 million dollars to spend Uh, on whatever you wanted uh while also hopefully making money for the studio as well what projects would you push or invest in what writers directors would you want to uh on board to help see the projects through Mm. uh example james wan for saw insidious um if I had a hundred million dollars, I'd give it to charity. Uh, well, yeah, but let's say, let, but, okay, let's, imagine it's a Brewster's million situation where you had to, here, yeah. you had to keep the studio alive. Here's, here's the fun idea. Um, yeah. uh, Roger Ebert put this idea in my head and I've been mm-hmm. thinking about it ever since. Um, Ardman animation, mm. Castle Blandings. Yeah, it's from idea. from PG Wood. Do yeah. PG Woodhouse in Ardman's Ardman animation style. It, it was famously adapted as Jeeves and Wooster. No, Jason Wooster is different. Oh, is that different? I thought they were connected. 
Castle Blanding is a different series. Oh, my um, bad. Okay. Uh, do Jeeves and Worcester as well. Why not? Oh, yeah. Uh, do a Jeeves and Worcester uh, Ardman show, uh, Ardman uh, movie. Do a Castle Blanding's movie in Ardman style. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, like, very, like books I feel like could only be adapted in animation that I'd love yeah. to see. Um, did you ever read Catherine Dunn's Geek Love? No, I know of it, though. Yeah. Uh, can't can't film that one. Not yeah. in live action, but I think that would look really cool in animation. Mm-hmm. Like, I get Phil Tippett in there. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I uh, I would probably go the Blumhouse route. Okay. Rather than you know, like blow it all on a couple of big projects, I would take that hundred million and do a, a variety of smaller projects with mm-hmm. uh, hopefully like, okay, some yeah. breakout appeal. But yeah, you know, take some chances. Up, up as well. and coming filmmakers would be nice. Up and coming filmmakers. Okay, you have, uh, have hundred million dollars. Yeah. Blumhouse has like a pretty hard and fast rule, like nothing under five. Make twenty films exactly with twenty first time directors. Well, you, need, you probably need some of that for like marketing and stuff like that. But like at okay, least make ten at, films. At that point, at least <laughs> ten. Like with a hundred million dollars to make ten movies, mm-hmm. with it, it, interesting young filmmakers with something to prove. Yeah. Uh, you develop those projects. You try to make them as exciting as possible. You find the right release date for them. And yeah, if you make them that cheap, they don't have to make a lot of money to make a profit and you can keep on doing that. Yeah. If, if as long as some of them are profitable, you're good. You can mm-hmm. even afford to take a few losses. So I think that's a good business model. I really do. I think, um, and, um, Honestly, I think, I, I, you know, maybe I would like, in order to like be on the safe side, I would like splurge and buy the rights to like one of the bigger horror franchises that hasn't been like updated in a while, like Pumpkinhead. Okay. Like we're overdue for a new Pumpkinhead, I think. <laughs> Let's put Pumpkinhead back in theaters. A Pumpkinhead yeah. remake or reboot or whatever. Sure. Badass. Pumpkinhead uh, rules, by uh, the way. Or I'd want to do something really, really arch. Like mm. a take, take a screenplay that's something really well known. Yeah. Screenplay to Star Wars. Okay. And I'm sure, Disney would be happy with this. And, well, okay, maybe not Star Wars. Maybe yeah. something I could like afford. Okay. Night of the Living Dead. Great, public it's in public domain. domain. Yeah, uh, give that same script to ten different filmmakers mm-hmm. and say go nuts and release them all in the same idea. year. Yeah, like just this series well, of uh, of experiments to see how people kind of ad- yeah. adapt to that sort of thing. I think it'd be great. Yeah. So, I, I think about this kind of thing a lot. Actually, a, a, one of my dream uh, projects, actually, yeah. it's it's not a not a movie, but it's a TV series, mm. uh, but based on filmmaking. Uh, it's sort of like chopped, you know, where you're given a basket of oh, like, yeah. ingredients, and you yeah. have to make a dish out of those things. You give filmmakers some obstacles. It's, and it's, it's the five the five obstructions the series. The series. Yeah. Uh, you 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 hire a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, if you can get famous people, great. If not, no worries. But you say you have to make uh, this script. Everybody's handed the same script, mm-hmm. but each of them is given a different uh, set of obstru- like creative obstructions. You have to yeah. film it in a, a certain yeah. amount of time, a certain location. Yeah, you, you have to have film to it on a, a certain format. Yeah, uh, you can, it has to be done in French, but no one on the production can speak French. Yeah, that kind of like stuff. something. You know, yeah, yours is a silent film. Yours is a musical film. But you know, tell this story, but do it like in that way, and then mm-hmm. you kind of have a contest at the end. You have like a panel of judges. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun to me. Problem yeah. is, it'd be really time-consuming. <laughs> anyway, there, uh, there were rumors that they were going to remake The Five Obstructions with Martin Scorsese, but apparently it was just rumors. It was never really a thing. Oh, like Lars von Trier was going to challenge Scorsese I was, next? I, I don't know if it was Lars von Trier, but like, they were going to mm-hmm. try like Scorsese, like, remake Taxi Driver, but with these rules or whatever like that. Oh, and interesting. I don't think that 
Yeah, watch the Five Obstructions, by the way. It's an yeah. excellent film. Uh, mm. uh, Lars von Trier is very fond of a filmmaker called Jargon Leth, is his name. Mm. And uh, he said, I, I love you at the short film you did back in the 60s. Uh, we're going to remake it, but we're going to have to have like all these weird rules that I'm laying mm. down for no reason, just yeah. to see. And Lars von Trier says, my goal is to make you a bad filmmaker. Yeah. I think you're great, but and I, I think yeah. I can make you bad somehow. Yeah. Can, can, and, can, uh, can an artist who has talent and something to say mm. be stymied by... Uh, fate, yeah. contrivance, uh, just and, uh, just obstacles in their path, and as long as he can still actually make the movie, no, he's he's good. And and <laughs> L- yeah, Lars von Trier has to confess at the end is like, well, I was a dick about all of this. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. Um, question number three: mm. What music albums do you think could be turned into a movie? Oh, that's hmm, that's a good question. because uh, it's been done mm, with The Wall. Uh, it's yeah. been done with Tommy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There aren't. Probably concept- Sergeant Pepper, kinda. Uh, kinda. Um, yeah. There aren't a lot of concept records these days, no. uh, so you'd have to sort of reach back a little bit. I think you can do it as long as you're not, as long as you're willing to be abstra- abstract. Maybe like, I think Paranoid Android could be a good sci-fi movie in a very oh, like so. Alphaville kind Ooh, of way. Ooh, you know? uh, uh, OK Computer would make a good movie. I mean, that's what I meant. Sorry, Paranoid Android is a song on OK Computer. Yeah, uh, that's what I meant. OK, okay, okay yeah, Computer, OK Computer yeah. would be a great sci-fi. Radiohead movie. would be a potentially, good song, yeah. and that kind of nineteen seventies experimental THX one one three eight kind of vibe. Uh, that uh, yeah, if, really cool. if you wanted, to, yeah, like take like, uh, like a uh, you know a Miles Davis record and actually like try to adapt that somehow in like a Fantasia kind of a way. Well, but uh, Miles Davis actually did some time to eat a Trouble Man, like you could just redo Trouble Man. Uh, yeah, put it back so. into a movie. Uh, um, so. Um, Oh, you know what? I got mm. um, I got an album kind of recently uh, by Primus, a, oh. a, band, a band I was very fond of in high school. Yeah. And, and they're still around. They're still touring. Um, and they put out a record called The Desaturating Seven, uh, which was based on the Ulderico children's novel, The Rainbow Goblins. If you remember okay. The Rainbow Goblins. They, maybe not, not really, a lot of people no. know this one. Uh, it's about... Uh, Little goblins, each one, you know, there's seven of them, one mm. one for each color of the rainbow. And the paintings are really cool looking, these little goblins. They wear these robes. And what they do is they throw lassos up into the air mm. and they capture rainbows and they squeeze all the color out and they eat it. And they rob the sky of color. They're kind of like okay. these villainous characters. And they've heard of the Valley of the Rainbow and they take this long journey out to the Valley of the Rainbow. Uh, and... Uh, the, the animals and the plants sort of catch wind that the goblins are coming, so they have to sort of come up with a conspiracy as to how to stop the goblins from coming and gobbling up the rainbows. Uh, wonderful paintings, wonderful artwork in these in that book. Uh, came out in like the early '80s, I think. Yeah, Primus made a record about the book. Wow, and I would love to see not an adaptation of the book, but a musical of the record that Primus made. Nice. Uh, and it would make this great sort of. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Primus. They're kind of like oh, I know Primus, plinky bass forward, very yeah. unusual band. Yeah, if you uh, if you've heard their songs, you would like recognize them because they have a very mm-hmm. particular ta- uh, uh, tone. Mm-hmm. Um, a, lot of, a lot of like a yeah, oh, very bass forward. Yeah, Les Claypool is the the bassist. Yeah, great, great, great band. Um, yeah, I'd love to see a movie of the Primus record, The Desaturating Seven. I would love to see. The a movie version of a flock of seagulls, which the first record, the first record, which was a concept album about, yeah, about, yeah, about space, alien abduction. Uh, I ran, I ran so far away. That's about running away from aliens. Um, 
Flock of Seagulls is legit, by the oh, way. Oh yeah, uh, they they they're, get a lot of they got mocked because of that guy's hairdo, and uh, uh-huh. and, they, and they're, they're considered they're, like a one hit wonder. Yeah, but they're they actually like those a, one or two a, heads, a but... big, a pretty solid. God, they're a good band. band. Yeah, they're really good men. Um, I, I the I feel like the obvious mold for these is a film uh, that. Uh, they made about I think I think it was a play first and it, there was music first then it was a play then it was a movie uh, called Sunshine on Leith. Oh yeah, yeah, which was a movie that they basically it's a jukebox musical. They took all the better songs by the Proclaimers, who are best known in America for their song uh, 500 Miles" from mm. the Benny and June soundtrack. When I wake up, mm, well, I know I'm gonna be one of the catchiest songs ever. If I wake up, <laughs> <laughs> um. They have a whole bunch of hit albums, especially in in Britain, and I love them so much. <laughs> They're just one of my favorite bands ever. They're one of my happy bands, and they made a pretty good movie. Not a great movie. It's pretty forced at times, but they made a pretty good movie. Just sort of taking all of their songs and kind of working around them as kind of a jukebox musical. Um, yeah, I think I would like a sort of an experimental Giorgio de Metropolis OK Computer one and then more of a uh fanciful sort of uh pop opera flock of seagulls okay movie i think those would be my two that Mm -hmm. i would think very different films sci-fi but very otherwise very different yeah like there's some wonderful albums that i think would make like some good fantasia like project like short films based on each song yeah but uh yeah hard to think of like a movie that would have like a story to it not every album has a clear narrative like that um but some albums do Mm -hmm. are are focused on a theme yeah uh and some of the ones that have like narratives are either based on something what what do you think of across the universe the julie tamar movie i like that movie I, I kind of like it too. Yeah, a lot of people. There's there's two schools of thought on all across the universe, which is a jukebox musical. Julie Taymor made Julie Taymor, the director of Titus, and she did uh, the Lion King on Broadway. Uh, incredible filmmaker. Um, she did a musical set to the music of the Beatles, but set in the 1960s where there were no Beatles, where the the music informs the story and the actions. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were just sort of springing organically from the yeah. characters' experiences rather than yeah. uh, Beatles songs playing on the bridge. So the characters yeah. would sing those songs. Some people who are Beatles purists, and I consider myself a bit of a Beatles mm-hmm. purist, actually. Some people who are Beatles purists sort of scoff at that movie because so it, it takes the Beatles out of the, it, yeah. out of the equation. I kind of like it because I think it argues that what the Beatles were capturing was endemic of the era. And yeah. what, what, even if the Beatles weren't there, the sentiments would have been, would, would right. have existed, maybe in a slightly different form. Um, so yeah, it's it's big and yeah, brash like, and silly it, sometimes, as a lot of Tamor yeah. stuff is, but I like that movie a lot, actually. Start, starts with Jim, Jim Sturgis turning to the camera and singing, Girl, that was a... Wait, no, no he, that's, that's the Mullen Roach. I just did that. Uh, Jason Jones, <laughs> is there anybody going just to just do my story all about the, the girl, girl who came to stay? And he tells the story ah, of the girl who came to stay. I see what you did yeah. there. Yeah. Some of the songs are more forced than others, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's good. I like that movie. And somehow they worked in being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, which makes <laughs> no fucking sense. Well, they, they decided to make an acid trip. It's set in yeah, the 60s. There was this TV miniseries in like the early 2000s or late 90s that was called The 60s. Or, and then they did the 70s and the 80s as well. Right. The, the 60s was this was a huge hit. And it was basically, we're going to tell a story about a family, a bra- like a big, sprawling family. And uh, by sheer coincidence, every interesting thing that happened in the 60s, this oh, so family was involved, numbers, yeah. was, was there. Yeah. Was, one of them was in the army. One of them was a hippie. One of them was all... And... 
it is mawkish and maudlin <laughs> and contrived. And if it had had Beatles music, it would have been the exact same movie as Across the Universe, I swear to God. It's basically the same thing. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Right. Anyway. Uh, Question so, four. Okay. We're still going. <laughs> what movies would you love to see adapted into a musical? Examples of movies turned ah. into musicals. Waitress, Legally Blonde, The Bodyguard, Mean Girls, Shrek, American Psycho, my favorite. Ah, uh, I, I haven't seen most of those, actually. I don't yeah. know. If, I'm sure most of them, not I've, all of them I've are good. I've seen the but... Spider-Man musical. I was one of the people who got to see that on <sighs> so Broadway. So Turn off the dark. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. What have I seen recently that would have made a good musical? Mm. Uh, something kind of light and fun. Yeah, I'm trying mm. to think... Because you want something well, You know what I want to see as a musical? Mm. I want to see Malignant. <laughs> I want to see Malignant the musical. I want Gabriel to have a number. <laughs> yes. Want... Agreed. I, I, want, I want Gabriel to sing uh-huh. Fuck the Police <laughs> while trashing the police station. That'd be awesome. That's not bad. That's not bad. I would, I I would, I I would watch not... the hell out of Malignant the musical. Yeah, I'm trying to think um because i want i want it to be something that like oh you know what would be a good musical hmm. uh babylon oh yeah babylon, babylon should have great... been a musical I mean, it is kind of it's, but, yeah. but it's not it should have been a musical it should have been a proper musical i think i think would have hmm. liked babylon more oh wait that's singing in the rain never mind um <laughs> gotcha uh <laughs> it's singing sing in the rain but you know like bordering on x-rated you know it's... yeah um I'm, I'm, I, just, I just had this image in my head of a musical version of the Fablemans, and it's the funniest thing. Oh, my ever. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, somebody somebody definitely would try that. The oh, Fablemans, sure. the musical. That's only a matter of time. Um, I would love it if they did something like, oh, you know it would be an amazing... You, you do a movie musical based on a movie that wasn't a hit, uh-huh. and it's hilarious that you would turn it into a musical. Like It's practically mm. like a Simpsons sketch. A Hard Ticket to Hawaii, the musical. Moonfall. Moonfall the musical would be Roland pretty, Emmerich's Moonfall. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah. That would be the best thing in the world, I in think. In fact, you'd call it Moonfall just with an exclamation point. Moonfall! <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it ends with this heroic number. You're part of the moon. And, and now. It, 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 you, you could work in like an old class. You could sing Blue Moon. Yeah. In Moonfall the musical. Like license that one. Oh, yeah. Have, like, oh, there's so many moon songs. There, just yeah. look at the soundtrack to... Uh, and American Wolf in London. They're like all moon-related songs. Yeah, yeah. yeah just do that, basically. <laughs> yeah. Bad Moon Risings. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Uh, and question five. Um, yes. Do you boycott mm. or have great difficulty watching movies with unsavory specific Hollywood creatives? Mm. My husband and I recently had a discussion about Woody Allen after I mentioned that I actively avoided his movies after learning about the allegations against him. Uh, before learning about the allegations, I had binged a handful of his movies, but have since decided not to watch any of the others mm. because I have a difficult time separating the art from the artist. Given the nature of the plot of several of his movies, <clears throat> Manhattan, yeah. uh, I have I haven't been able to bring myself to watch any of his other movies. Thank you so much for reviewing and answering my questions. Alex, P.S., mm. as a member of the Call to Action podcast from forever ago, mm. I would like to thank you both for being two of my favorite parts of the SD community, the Schmodown community mm. as a whole. I loved having you both participate in my Schmobait show when it was hopping, and you're always generous and a hoot of a good time on and off the screen. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for loving Hellbound Hellraiser 2 as much as me. Um, 
separating the art from the artist. That's, I mean, I that's going to be a, a matter of your own personal yeah. ethic, uh, my, whether you can stomach that sort of thing. My, my philosophy is that technically you can separate art from the artist, if mm. only through ignorance, just by not knowing who the artist yeah, is. Yeah, uh, but you don't have to. Mm. You can choose. You can also mm. choose to watch movies with an asterisk. Like, mm. I, I want to watch this movie, or I have to watch this movie. But I know yeah. this person was a shed, or I yeah, don't approve of something about it, and that's just a, it's just a big yeah, old you, elephant in the you, room. You can it? you can put an asterisk asterisk next to something, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe not enjoy it in the way you used to, but mm-hmm. uh, you can't, sort of you can't sort turn of, that off now. You yeah. can appreciate it while also acknowledging that the person who made it is horrible. Um, yeah. The Ren and Stimpy show is big was very important to me as very an adolescent. That kind of timing and that kind of sense of humor really informed me as an adolescent. And, and it informs then, a lot of shows today. It's hard yeah, for me to sometimes actually, watch a show, do a Ren and Stimpy riff, yeah, without and, realizing and the and, who you're yeah, riffing on. The Ren and you know? Stimpy show, yeah, kind of brought the idea of a creator-based cartoon show mm. in, into mainstream acceptance. And John Kay sort of spearheaded that. And then you learn that John Kay was being very unsavory with teenage girls. Like, really and, uh, grotesque stuff, actually. And, um, uh, he, yeah. You know, he's he's persona non grata now. He's not allowed to make anything. And, yeah, uh, and, and that's and that's uh, that's right. And the thing is, is that it's it's there there are variations in this as well because there are certain people who they they were creeps or they were monsters, they were criminals, but they're dead, mm. and you're not necessarily helping their career, nor does fun, the con- fun, fun, funding their defense fund. Yeah. Well, and nor are you contributing to their perceived success so that you are placing other people in a position to have to work with them mm-hmm. and they might not be safe or comfortable. Uh, and so supporting their career isn't necessarily great. Um, we sometimes have to watch movies that have people in them who are gross or have done gross things. Mm-hmm. I There are people who I avoid mm-hmm. just because, yeah, they made a movie and maybe I'll see it at some point, but I'm very distracted. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's what it, that's what it boils down to is I can't watch the movie without thinking of the gross stuff, and that's not helping the movie any. Yeah, um, I can't. I, it's it's just very very it's, difficult. It's especially difficult with someone like Woody Allen, yeah, who uh, like puts so much of himself into those movies. Oh and yeah, so much of who he is and his strange proclivities. Yeah, kind of reflect on allegations in real mm-hmm. life. Uh, so it's really difficult with somebody like Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And um, also, when, also he he was he he's a filmmaker who had talent, yeah, as well. And a lot of his movies were significant or uh, mm-hmm. uh, influential in some way. We're doing our uh, show only the best, and it's eventually we're, we're going to have to get to Annie Hall. Uh, and we're going to we're going to get Prince Misdemeanors was nominated. So uh, Bullets Over Broadway was Bullets Over Broadway. Yeah. Uh, Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, a, a so lot. We're have to I watch think some Zellig of those. was up for Best Picture. Um, I think oh, Zellig was. Right. I think it was, it was nominated for some Oscars. I don't think it was Best right. Picture. Uh, but eventually. Of Woody, we're going to have to deal with films. that. Say, and, that's not, I'm not looking forward to it, but you know. And same with like, Roman Polanski. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Roman, and I, these are sort of like influential voices in terms mm-hmm. of the way cinema moved. Uh, Harvey fucking Weinstein, for God's sake. Oh, like, yeah. Kind of, kind of yeah. exploded a lot of the, the indie movie scene in the 1990s. Yeah. Considered a, a very important figure. A lot of the more, uh, most prominent movies of the turn of the century have the indelible stamp of Harvey Weinstein on them. Yeah, that's so, not great. Uh, it's seeing his name in front of these movies is now going to sting a little bit. Yeah. And the problem is Harvey Weinstein wasn't the only person who worked on that. True. Very true. There are actually a lot of probably hardworking people who are 
maybe ignorant of what Harvey mm-hmm. Weinstein was up to, who made it and made an important work mm-hmm. of art. And I think you can... Or they might have just been come. forced to because that's the only way to work in that industry. Yeah. And I have, or, I have some sympathy for that, you yeah. know? Like so they're, they're just know, working. Not, not everyone has enough power to say no to a project. You yeah. Know? So, um... When it comes to something like that, I think it's perfectly all right to watch something that Harvey Weinstein produced Mm. because a lot of other talented artists Mm. put on it. Um, I've heard it spun this way before. If you go to any movie, Mm. even uh, ones that are made by people who you know to be perfectly decent... Mm You go through the credits, you're going to find some assholes. Almost guarantee you uh, some of the people in those credits will have been real shits at some point. Yeah. You, you, but you, but that's my point. You can separate art from the artist constantly because you don't know the backstory of every single exactly. person who worked on it. Uh, so, another, another thing I find curious yeah. is... But once you um, know, you know. Yeah, that's once you problem. know, you know. And it's... it's yeah. um, Easy for us to wrap our heads around a monstrous person mm-hmm. who committed a horrible act. Um, I can still watch L.A. Confidential... Because Kevin Spacey mm-hmm. is a small part of that movie. He's yeah, only it's, one. It's, uh, yeah. So I feel about seven as well. Like he's yeah. not ubiquitous in the film, mm-hmm. you know. But every, uh, when he's on screen, I'm like, oh, it's distracting. Yeah, it's a little yeah. distracting. Um, I found it curious, though, that people are able to do that with monstrous people. Like, separate the art from the artist. I don't want to watch a film by Roman Polanski. That's your prerogative. Don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about something like. A corporate entity yeah. that does unethical things. Yeah. Uh, look up the legal push and pull between Warner Brothers and the country of New Zealand mm. when it come, came to the making of the Hobbit movies. Yeah, They pressured local politicians to change labor laws so they didn't have to hire local talent and could like import people and pay them less. Yeah, That's unethical as fuck. It is. It is, and but, and you're but right. you don't hear about people boycotting Warner Brothers over stuff yeah. like and that. And that's tricky because, like, we talk about a lot about how various studios, like Disney, for example, mm. which I support Disney and their fight against Ron DeSantis. I'm also very opposed to Disney for a lot of the other shit that they do. <laughs> well, the, uh, yeah, the, there's the hundreds of other unethical but things. When, they're they're, up to. when you're that gigantic, oh. there's a lot of different things that you're connected to. Mm. You might simply be the financier of a movie and not actually have that much to do with it. You, a lot of the things that Disney creates or the people who work at Disney creates are good mm-hmm. or interesting or fun at least. And they're they're connected to Disney, but are they Disney like as a whole? Like can I really is it really fair to add the taint of Disney's, you know, problematic mm-hmm. corporate practices to my view of the film? I think what it boils down to is these are decisions that we I think there's some that are clearer than others. Yeah. In terms of there are people who maybe we shouldn't go out of the way to support their career right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a big enough issue and a complicated enough issue that I don't think that there's one catch-all yeah. way to go about it. There's a lot of different respectable ways. I think the only th- way for me that I think is probably the wrong way to go, and people might disagree with me on this, is to ignore the reality once you know it. If you don't know it, you don't know it. But once you know it, to ignore it, or to actively say to yourself, or even subconsciously say to yourself, I care about enjoying this movie less than I care about the real-life tragedies surrounding it. Yeah. That, for me, is is, is the wrong way to go. Hmm. 
it doesn't mean you can't watch the movie, but I do believe, I think the, what we say is we put an asterisk next yeah. to it. Uh, it's this movie, but there's also this other yeah, thing, no. and we can't pretend that that's not there, you know? A, a, a friend of mine put it this way. A friend of mine, he's a big metalhead. Likes, mm. you know, metal, listen to death metal. Like, a really dark shit. Sure. Um, and uh, he says that, you know, when a, a lot of allegations start to come to light about stars in Hollywood and producers yeah. and actors... Uh, and comedians and what have you, and they just proved to be like criminals and sex pests. Yeah, uh, he said he was used to that because he was already a metalhead. Yeah, he was used to hearing that his heroes were just horrible people. Yeah, and there, I spent my twenties trying to like push limits. I saw some pretty extreme shit in my mm-hmm. day. Uh, I was trying to to provoke myself, you mm-hmm. know, but trying to see where my limits were. Yeah. It, it kind of gave me a bit of a thick skin, you know, and I'm watching documentary films with like actual animal death, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, I was in my twenties. I was, you know, trying to get into the sick shit. Um, if you have that sort of a thick skin, there's going to be a point where you can watch anything and yeah. you're going to be okay with it because yeah. you're watching a movie and you understand that horrible people made yeah. it and you, you're not okay with the crimes they committed, but yeah. you're okay with the fact that horrible people sometimes make art. I'm, I'm, and uh, yeah, w- whether or not you can roll with that darkness is going to depend on your character. I think I think the, it, there's a good line, and I don't really, I don't think it's always used mm-hmm. in this context. But there's a good line Roger Ebert had where he said mm-hmm. that uh, movies are machines that uh, create empathy. No, uh, I'm paraphrasing that, uh, but that's what they do. They create the ability to empathize with other people and other characters and other situations. If you are watching movies because you care, because you're connecting with artists or the characters that are telling stories about, if you're using the art to uh, expand your ability to care and value things, mm. it's probably it's probably going to be hard for you to completely separate yeah those things yeah. because you you're being taught to care about things and then there are some people who want to say but you shouldn't care about this real thing because mm-hmm. this is just a movie yeah. oh. and that makes it complicated yeah it really does I, I sympathize with that again i think the only bad thing we can do is pretend it doesn't matter mm-hmm. um you can absolutely watch things but i just think to, pre- to pretend it didn't happen or doesn't exist that's not the healthy thing to do. It's yeah. basically just to say, we can't unknow what we know. We uh, try to not support actively people who, if they were welcomed back into the industry, would be doing harm or bringing people into situations that they would be uncomfortable in or unhealthy. Uh, and beyond that, we do our best. So, yeah, mm. as, as critics, you know, there are certain people who I are just absolutely persona non grata, but there's still also movies that you and I just have to watch. Yeah, and because it, that's and the it, that's the gig, and it's not always the fun part. And if if I were assigned a, a, yeah. a film that was made by a monster, I, I would do my due diligence. Yeah, I'd I'd watch it and see you know, mm. but I you know, I would be careful in my review to bring up the context. Yeah, I, I wouldn't review it without context. Yeah, you don't that's wanna, not my job. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I, Plus, that's not the way I write. I have to contextualize everything. Yeah. It's gotten me in trouble with editors before because I over-contextualize <laughs> things sometimes. I, 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 it's clarity. Yeah. I think it's important. I really do. Hmm. Yeah. It's like, hey, could you get to the review faster? No, I need three paragraphs <laughs> of context before I even get to the movie. Just, like, just sprinkle in the occasional, the movie's fine. But first, let me talk about this. Yeah, I, I had to start training myself to like say something about the movie up front and then put my three paragraphs of trick. context. That's the trick. That's the trick. I did that too. I did that with my... Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, I do it with almost everything I do. Yeah. My, the intros to my reviews tend to be like, why are you starting here? Okay, two paragraphs, this will make sense, I promise. <laughs> it happens a lot. Um, Just follow me closely. Anyway. Um... Uh, another letter? I think I'll have time for one more because right. we said we, we yeah, started right. we, we started with a digression. We'll do one extra letter. Right, so right. uh, here's a letter from Dr. Nova. Hi, Dr. Hi, Nova. Dr. Good to hear from yeah. um, Hi, Bibbs and Whitney. I, I am out of the movie sphere. I think completely out, and wow. it's weird. Yeah. Uh, movies during high school and when I was depressed were a major thing to me. Not only watching movies, but talking about them. But now I've changed a lot, and since 2021, I've watched far less movies and gained more hands and hobbies, which has led to mainly listening to podcasts while I do other stuff. Okay. Uh, or, excuse me, hands-on hobbies. Ah, okay. The, you, haven't gained really more, you haven't gained more hands. That's a little <laughs> weird. Uh, plus, on top of that, my engagement with movie, oh, with movie channels oh. on YouTube is non-existent. And I blinked at all the channels I used to watch are gone. I think the only one I watch now is Dan Merle once a week. Ah, Dan Dan Merle's great. We know Dan Merle. Yeah, Dan Merle's Uh, wonderful. It's so weird because movies were a core interest of mine for like 25 years and now Mm. it's just gone. Mm. I don't know if it will come back and and even if it does, to what capacity, because I still watch movies sometimes, but I don't engage with them like I used to. Hmm. Looking at my letterboxed first-time watches, not so many repeats or old favorites. Uh, I watched 98 movies in 2021, fueled mainly by excitement excitement in lockdown, and losing weight and being low energy from all the training I was doing. Okay. Uh, then you get to 2022, and that was 26 movies. For the first time that year, had a lot, a lot more things going on, and I had a tight, tight schedule, and I didn't watch any more movies for like eight months. 2023, five months, I've watched 14 new movies. The amount is up now, but I engage with, uh, but how I engage with them is very different now mm. because I'm talking about them. I'm not talking about them with people anymore, not like I used to. Okay. All my hobbies involve me talking to people about them. So without someone to talk to about movies, is there? There really isn't much I can do except watch mm. the movie, which is only part of how I do everything else, but how I, uh, but is also how I enjoy video games. It's okay. shift. Yeah. Uh, signed, Dr. Nova. P.S. Get off of Twitter and join Discord instead. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't do Discord. I've, I've been looking for a good Twitter <laughs> alternative. I tried Hey.Cafe, but they're not a, an online app. Yeah. Uh, it's really, I really like that one, It's too. really quiet. Yeah. Hey.Cafe is so relaxing. I, I've made a lot um, of accounts in a lot of different places, mm. but uh, thus far... Yeah, nothing I've uh, felt the need to really... Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm there if everyone moves over there. Yeah. Um, where, where it starts to shift, that's where I will go. Yeah. Um, but it sounds so like what you're talking Twitter's, about... Twitter's turning into... Well, I mean, it's always been a sewer, but now it's just a worse yeah. sewer. Well, it sounds like what you're talking about, Dr. Nova, is... By the way, uh, to change your interests over time is 100% normal and totally cool. Mm-hmm. And we've had people write into us before. It's like, hey, I'm just... I don't know. I'm not feeling movies. And it's like... The, the, change hobbies. Do it. You don't have to... I know it sounds like we're just saying, like, you know, we're kind of putting down our own agenda here. <laughs> but, like, it's like we're a movie podcast. And we'd very much like you to listen, but... Well, look, if if we want you to enjoy movies... Yeah, if you're not if, enjoying them, if what's you're, the point? Yeah, if you're not into the medium, we're not going to force you. Um, yeah. th- th- that's something we learned a long time ago. You know, when, when you're young, you're a teenager, 20s... Yeah. You, you have the, strong opinions. You have things. strong opinions, yeah. and your tendency is to shame people who aren't in on the know. Yeah. Like, you, you haven't seen a Clockwork Orange. How Why are you? Dare you're not you? a real movie yeah, fan. Oh, real movie God. Fan. Shut up, 17 year old me. Well, when it's a bunch of 17 year olds yeah. in a room and you're shaming each other, that's just good fun. When, when you when you move online and turn be, into an asshole about it, that's the issue. I, I think you, um, it, it can be gatekeeping and annoying either way. But like, but it, it's I, more I feel, it's more understandable. I, I feel like I feel like gatekeeping is like. A phase through which everyone must pass. It's something you have to. Uh, as long as you pass, actually. that's yeah. the trick. You got to pass out of that yeah. shit. But, um, but yeah, no. The the 
No, what you're talking about is is and, and this is the thing that I think is interesting is the idea of movies as a social thing because movies can be private. Mm. You don't have to discuss them with anybody. You can just watch them, feel the experience all to yourself, mm. enjoy mm. it, have it wash you. over you, contemplate it, and then go about your day. You don't have to make a social experience, but so much of a movie is is a social experience. This is one of the things that people really felt the lack of during lockdown was not being able to see movies in a big crowd. Mm. When people said the movies are back, the movies never went anywhere. I'm not a huge fan of that phrase. But the movie-going experience, as you cared about it, as a social experience, even with a group full of strangers, that was gone. Mm. And a lot of people love that. And I think that's one of the things that we care so much about movies about, is the idea that we're all looking at the same thing and having our own reaction to it. And those reactions feed off of each other and fuel each other. Sometimes it turns into groupthink, but, you know, that's just, we all saw the same thing and had, mm-hmm. you know, our energy accumulates. Um, if that's what's important to you and you're not getting that because the YouTube channels that gave you that are gone now mm-hmm. or you just don't have anyone you're watching movies with right now, yeah, do other stuff. There's so many other things. There's so many other things we could be doing. There really are. There just aren't that other many other things I'm interested in. And that's what it boils down to for yeah. me. If there ever comes a day when I... And there have been days when I've been like, ugh, movies again. But it's usually very fleeting. Yeah. And I always come back. Well, and, and If I ever I, uh, stop caring, I'll do something else with my time. I, I, I adore the cinema. It's part of my yeah. subconscious. Um, at the same time, I also hate movies from time to time. <laughs> I... I, oh, I uh, there's this uh, speech where Keanu Reeves is talking about cinema. And he mm. just sort of steps up to a microphone in front of a crowd. I don't even remember what the event was. And he just says, I love movies. Yeah. I love movies. I just want to say, have you seen movies? <laughs> There's some shit out there. Yeah. I love movies. Here, Here's most extreme primate. Do you love movies now? Hey, uh, hey, he made some shit like that early on in his career. He has. I know. You love, do you love the shit you made? Uh, that's just this me being strident. But, uh, no, but like, just because you love something doesn't mean you can't also have other feelings for it as well. well you can, I also think you love that, something, but you don't have to love every single aspect of it. You know? We love it, and we've seen so many movies that we we like them to be not merely entertaining. We want them to be great. Our standards have been raised. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. it's, you know... And that's why a lot of people say that you know critics are so pewy. They don't really like movies. No, we we like movies. We just like really good ones. Yeah. So we're going to dismiss the ones that you find just mildly like, distracting. A, 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 uh, a, a critic who's doing the job, like a full time job of being a critic, mm. probably sees many times more movies than the average person complaining yeah, about critics. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, their 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 perspective is a little different than yours. Yeah. Um you know? Now if if you're losing interest in cinema in general mm-hmm. and your just your interests are skewing in another direction, there's nothing wrong yeah, good. with putting I, movies. And I don't think Dr. Nova is saying that, yeah. but I'm talking about because I know um, we've had other people bring this up yeah. to us now, in the past. If, if you've noticed that your interest in films is waning and that distresses you and you actually are interested in picking up the interest again. Mm-hmm. That's a separate issue, and I'll first yeah. that. And again, that's not what Doctor Nova is talking about, no. but we're having conversation. But that's that's a specific thing, and I, I've heard people saying, "I'm losing interest. How do I get interest again?" Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert had a, a specific solution. He oh, said, yeah. "Go back to the start. Mm. Go back to the earliest 
films you can find. Mm. Watch a lot of like early experimental shorts when people were just experimenting with cameras back in like the night, mm. like the year nineteen. So, talking about the start of the cinematic yeah. craft. As yeah, the, and, as and start yeah. watch a lot of old, really really old movies, mm. old silent movies. Not, not get out of the get yeah, out of whatever pre, way pre, you're pre nineteen twenty. Just watch movies from there before the rules uh, have been invented. Yeah, you'll you'll find that uh, there's a lot of excitement happening because people are excited about just the tools. Yeah. Um, I've found that a great way to sort of rekindle interest is to move as far as possible out of your comfort zone. Mm. Uh, if, watch a movie. Watch a movie watch from a, movie a country from a, you've never yeah, seen exactly. a movie from before. If you've never seen a movie from a, a certain country or even a certain continent, yeah, go there. See what it yeah. is. Do some like cultural research. Mm-hmm. Watch um, a movie in a genre you've never enjoyed. Yeah, like if everyone says it's great, try to figure out why. Uh, you know? yeah. Documentaries are a great place to go. Uh, sure. It's like th- these these are cinema, but at the same time they're kind of informative. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're stimulating your mind in a different kind of way from a scripted drama. Uh, read, uh, read a lot. Read read a lot, and but also like read about movies. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get so focused on the research of movies or like the study of movies that involves just watching. Uh, just watching the movies that we forget that they're actually really great uh, books that can uh, amplify that. I recently picked up a book and it's been really inspirational, actually, just how incredibly well written it is. It's a, it's a collection of uh, critiques. It's called It Came From the Closet, Queer Reflections oh, yeah. on Horror. I've seen that on bookshelves. It's Pick it up. It's great. Hmm. Um, I haven't read every single piece of it, but I've read a lot of it. And it's all... Very insightful, very personal stories uh, from uh, queer critics of all walks of life talking about uh, how various horror movies uh, were important to them and mm-hmm. uh, their readings and their particularly their queer readings of movies, including movies that I, you know, I, I, I think the reason why I picked up the book other than just I heard it was good, but when I looked it over and I saw like the table of contents, like here are the movies that are being written about. Uh, there was one that was like the queer reading of Jaws. And I was like, really, Jaws? Yes, you, you have my interest. Yeah, you have my interest. <laughs> what is the queer reading oh, of Jaws? the, uh, uh, the yeah. Django Unchained? Uh, oh, you have my interest, now you have my, now you have my, my attention. attention. Yeah. You had my interest, now you have my attention. Yeah. Which I always feel like is a little backwards. Like, you have my attention, but now you have my interest. Like, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but um, that was a great... I don't want to ruin it for you. That was a great essay, and it really opened my eyes to a lot of things and a lot of the ways that other people view cinema. And it made me think about the way that I view cinema in a way that I hadn't really before. Again, mm-hmm. I only uh, like discovered who I am and uh, uh, fully acknowledge my own queerness very recently. I went through like about four decades, not really understanding it. And now I look back at, thanks to this book, I'm looking back at some of the horror movies I saw early on that I connected to and realizing that some of the things I connected to like we're specifically speaking, we're speaking to me yeah. subconsciously in ways that I really wasn't thinking about. And now I look back at like how I view Nightbreed and I'm like, Oh God, that movie is so ace. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So now I'm like, it, it's exciting to me yeah. to like, it's just to, to get this lens. Hmm. So I to see the other people's lenses through it. So I recommend that book, by the way, if uh, anyone wants to read a good book about just horror and film criticism yeah. and queerness, but, um, a- but yeah, I'm I've I've hyped it on the show before, but I'm very fond of A. O. Scott's book. Yeah, it's called Better Living Through Criticism, yeah. and he just it's just this uh, series of essays he wrote about 
the art of criticism. A.O. Scott, by the way, left film criticism. By oh, yeah. the way. He was just sick of it. Yeah. I, and he even wrote in sort of his final piece that he loves movies, but he also kind of hates them. Uh, uh, he sort of resents the power cinema has over him. And he wrote this really good book about sort of the nature of criticism. And it, it sort of explores how criticism is a very unusual art. Uh, it's an art form unto itself. Yeah. It's medium is other art and that's yeah. kind of the way it's unusual uh, and yeah. how uh, all art is reaction start... to something but film criticism is a reaction to very specific very works specific of art. works of art yeah. and uh if you but of course if you look at art in a certain way all art builds off of previous art doesn't exactly it? You know, Harold, and, and life itself yeah, like Harold, you have something in your life bloom, you're unhappy with you yeah, talk, you're harold bloom talked a lot about the anxiety of influence harold bloom another problematic figure i understand but sure. um yeah, he talked about how, uh, you know, can, can you take influence without making it seem like you took influence? Because, you know, the, the pressure of the artist mm-hmm. is to be original. Uh, so every work of art is, in a way, a criticism of other art that came before. Mm-hmm. Either you're approving of previous art and imitating it, mm-hmm. or you're rejecting other art and doing something opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so criticism is just a little bit more explicit about it. It's sort of this mm-hmm. blend of an artistic reaction and an analytical paper, yeah. uh, making it this really kind of all brain. It, it, he's, he's very highfalutin about, but th- uh, about that's, criticism. That's how I approach it too. That's, yeah. I think that's, that's so, how I think uh, when I think about criticism. Yeah. And, and of course he, uh, A.O. Scott is incredibly well read. He's, yeah. you know, incredibly cultured. He knows a lot about just the history of art. So it's also, uh, tick, tickles the intellectual part of my mm-hmm. brain as well. Uh, I really highly recommend that book and it'll get you thinking about films, uh, sort of in a conscious way yeah. uh, in a way that you may not be considering them otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, if that, you start you know, to watch films, kind of you about. can actually watch films in a little bit more of an intellectual capacity mm-hmm. and find a new kind of thrill. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. When you, when you find books and I encourage you to read books about everything because it'll in, enrich your life, but even it will also enrich your cinematic life too, because mm-hmm. books don't exist in a uh, movies don't exist in a vacuum. They exist in a world with life and other works of art. But, um, yeah, to to really immerse yourself in other people's point of view, and I realize that's probably why you're listening to podcasts because hmm. that's part of it. But don't forget to read a book because uh, sometimes those things are far more focused. People can choose their words more carefully and really get into some uh, really interesting, really really what's what I'm looking for here important. Mm. I think places and it can be really eye-opening so that might be that might be right. a cool thing to do but in any case Dr. Nova um, you know we hope you keep listening but uh, regardless good for you I hope things are going really really well in your journey and you know all those new hobbies that you got and everything are going really well for you I just I hope you're really really happy and I hope that for every single person listening to this show thank you for mm. joining us Thank you to everybody who wrote in. If we didn't get your email, we apologize. Uh, we might read it next time. You can always try again. If there's ever anything super important, you can always poke Whitney. Um, yeah, you can write in. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send us an actual physical letter to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, and, um, yeah, the Patreon. So, <laughs> patreon.com slash uh, Critically Acclaimed Network. Um, <laughs> hug your loved ones. Mm. Pet a cat. Um, well, if, if you have a kitten, yeah. Uh, uh, 
tell the kitten it's the best kitten in the world and yeah. give it a snuggle for me. Uh, and uh, uh, next time you're at the market, get your favorite snack. <laughs> Treat yourself. Mm. The, the good kind, not the store brand. Unless that's your brand. 365 brand at Whole Foods. Legit. Yeah, it's, it's fine. And affordable. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sincerely, Bibbs and Whitney. Bye. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.